0: Growth Pains. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this new episode of Growth Pains. Today, we'll be talking about topics such as influencing without having the authority, becoming a specialist versus a generalist, communicating effectively, and positioning your business at a busy space such as fintech. I'm really happy to have a fellow Chilean on the show today. My guest is uh, Matias Honorato, Senior Growth Manager or now Growth Lead, recently promoted at Tally Inc., and for those who are not familiar with tally it's a Fintech company based in San Francisco which aims to uh, for people to overcome credit card debt so they are um, so you can live less stressed and you know about money and do what they love uh, previously you also worked at Ernest Inc which is also in the Fintech space focusing on providing refinancing for student loans so really happy to have you thank you for being here today
1: No thank you uh, super excited to be here uh, hey everyone and uh, yeah uh, I'm first time doing this with another Chilean. So, uh, it's yeah. kind of a weird thing to be doing this in English. Uh, yeah, but, uh, who, uh, in this world today, I mean, you know, uh, things are not, uh, it seems like it's a little bit, everything crazy. So let, let's yeah. do it.
0: I, I I don't think I ever heard you speak English before. Right? I was just realizing, <laughs> right. Because we did the whole prep in Spanish and then yeah, it's great. How, how do people call you in the U S by the way, do they say honorado or wh- oh, what, what do you get there?
1: That's a good one. I, I get, uh, like, hundreds of different yeah, yeah, yeah. pronunciations of my name, but the the, the the most the most common one is Matthias. That's, oh, God. Uh, yeah, that Matthias oh, wow. is it. Uh, at this point, like, I don't care anymore. Like, uh, yeah, I yeah. enjoy to, to, like, write down all of the different variations that someone can pronounce my name, so yep. it's, uh, it's funny.
0: Oh, shit. I shit w- I would have gone for like you was just going to go by Matt or something right like I here in the Netherlands like in the US I used to get Gallegos for my last name and in the <laughs> Netherlands I get Hallehos right like like it's it's just really weird but uh yeah and it's uh for a whole episode of uh of bad pronunciation uh, but
1: uh, Exactly
0: all right, dude, let's get started. True or false, right? This is the way we start warming up the conversation. So let me, uh, I know you're interested in, in, in finances in general, so let me hit you with one first. The valuation of some businesses in Silicon Valley makes absolutely no sense. True or false?
1: I mean, true,
0: 100%. It's crazy, huh?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's beyond like any, any reasonable understanding of how a business worked to get to those valuations, and yeah. uh, as an insider, uh, I, I, I kind of like understand that uh, things go out of hand really quickly. Uh, yeah. So two plus two isn't four anymore. But but also that's the magic of uh, Silicon Valley and and the US in general, where like you can dream of getting getting to those levels of valuations to build yeah. those amazing companies. So I think. It has the negative, a negative consequence, but also creates like positive uh, reinforcement yeah. on people to believe that they can get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, true. True. That alternate reality can actually push things in that direction if you want to, <laughs> exactly. right? We've seen exactly. it with, like the Steve Jobs and we're also seeing it in, in Donald's account uh, in the last few <laughs> days, but you know, that, that's, that's uh, the way it works. So on the other hand, this is the next one. Most people hiring a growth marketer today don't really have a clear idea about what they want. True or false?
1: Uh, true um and uh this is a issue that i see not only in the u.s um but it's something that i've been experiencing um w- talking with a lot of uh, latin american startups yeah uh so i think it's uh, basically that the the core of that problem is not really understanding what um how to hire for a growth marketing or what are the skill set that a growth marketing uh, growth marketer should have is more and un- like companies are not able to articulate what growth means for, for, for that particular company. Yeah. So I think that's the root cause of, of the issue. When, we, when you are not able to really understand how you grow and what growth means for you, then it's really hard to hire for someone that can help you scale that, right?
0: Yeah, that's a really cool take, because I, I usually feel like people get on like, yeah, they don't really know what it is, they're not, and but, at, but yeah, but at the core it's that, right? It's like hiring a salesperson if you don't understand what sales means to you, it's just not Ex- going to work out.
1: Exactly, exactly. Okay,
0: and, and yeah, I-, I would argue that it's even less in the US, right? Like over there, things are a bit more advanced in this thing in startups, right? So it's even, I think it's even more so in Europe or in Latin America, right? It's a little bit more.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would only add to that point also that uh, here in the US obviously you have like all of these thought leaders that are like pushing these ideas forwards oh, related yeah. to growth so like you feel a little bit more connected with with those concepts but something that I've been starting to realize is that companies tend to think about growth from from a like external point of view and we could go more in depth into this yeah. over the episode but um, what I would say is that Growth is something that is born from the core of the company, like it should be part of the DNA of the company. So starting with the founder searching for product market fit, to then when you start scaling and raising money. And usually like, it feels like growth is this, uh, like looking for things outside when actually companies should be looking with, within their own resources. So instead of thinking, how do we hire a world-class um, um, uh, head of growth, yeah. The question should be, how do we develop this person internally to become the head of growth of our company?
0: Yeah, yeah, super interesting. Uh, the other one, third, um, this is kind of related, but here we go. When starting a new role, most growth marketers try to show quick results when they should instead focus on nailing the fundamentals, you know, market research, competitors, understanding customers, that sort of thing. True or false?
1: Uh, true. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Right. I, I I think sorry, go ahead.
0: No, 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 go. It I, I just mean it's, it's hard to resist that temptation, right? Because you also want to prove your worth.
1: Exactly. So, I think like in essence, uh most growth marketers, uh they always try to show and prove the value that they can create to the company. Yeah. So, it's uh, uh it's kind of like a that really awesome attitude of like these f- fresh uh, like f- fresh air of like someone with new ideas, like someone yeah. proposing things and changing things. But also I agree hundred percent that there's needs to be like a process where it's not only about getting those quick wins and, and and kind of like nailing with like a couple of initiatives that you might run, but also it's like doing the process of understanding the foundational components of what growth means for that for that company.
0: Agree. Yeah, and last one, but not least, this one's going to hit you in the heart. Let's see. So, cryptocurrencies are just another temporary bubble. They won't last. True
1: or false? Oh, come on, man. False. <laughs> I 100%. know you like this one.
0: I'm, I'm not particularly a crypto enthusiast, not because I don't like the technology, it's just something that I I don't know, I just keep thinking like, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to get into this later," and I just never do. But I know you're <laughs> but I know you're a big fan. So, what's your take on this one?
1: Yeah, I think um whatever we call these like cryptocurrencies, blockchain, basically this new technology, what what is enabling is kind of like getting us some sort of um, escape route of the current financial system that from what have happened today, what happened in uh, 2028, and what have happened through the history, we have seen that there's no real value or there's no creation of value on the current financial system. In the opposite hand, what's happening with the cryptocurrencies, what happened with blockchain, with Bitcoin, is that the core foundational part of what this system means is the creation of value. So I think in a way like moving outside of the... Basically crypto for me is like having that chance, having that exit door of the current system and actually putting my bets into something that I I create I believe creates more equality, creates more opportunities and actually produce value to society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I think a lot of people don't don't realize that that's I I guess the, the core for a lot of people, right? Like basically uh, your money really being your money. Right. Exactly. And, and not depending I, on the I, financial I, system or whatever you put it. Right. So that's that's really interesting. Exactly. Um, OK, before we get into the, the pains, I, I always start asking people for something they're really, really bad at. So what is it for you? What are you re- shamefully bad at?
1: Um,
0: Nobody at Alex is good- listening to this, so no <laughs>
1: Uh, That's a good question. I would say, like, more on, like, the operational side and kind of, like, on my day-to-day work, I would say that I'm pretty bad at, uh, like, Facebook ads and, like, paid social. It's, like, for me, it's still, like, a monster that I'm not able to, like, really understand how it operates. Not from how they like how to build the campaigns how to yeah. like make the beats, and like how how to target the users that you want but actually like understanding what drives user to as they scroll through their Instagram feed or Facebook what drives them to like actually make a click and then make a purchase right so yeah. i th- that's something that and this is something that i've seen people at tally doing incredibly well and until this day, I, I, for me, it's really hard to understand, like, how does that ad brought someone to then uh, take a line of credit of six thousand like dollars? It's kind of like still like magic for me.
0: Yeah, and I guess then, because marketers are hyper aware as well about ads, right? Yeah, So, 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 exactly. so most m- most marketers are like, yeah, I never click on ads. So I like try to be, like, okay, okay, it's our job, right? But uh, you go like, yeah, no, I would never click on the paid results in the search engine, right? Uh, exactly. So so yeah, you have that in, that bias, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. So I think it's a lot about bias and, and there's also like this process of empathizing with your user and like understanding that what might drive you as a marketer doesn't yeah. mean that it's going to drive the conversion for that user because like you, you are in completely different uh, like uh, points of views or you have like different experiences in your life. So th- there's like a lot of processes uh, around how you put yourself uh, on your user's shoes. And then something more in the non-operational side that I, I, I consider myself pretty bad at and I think this is a skill that I really need to start developing is uh saying no to things
0: oh man don't even get me started Uh, on that one yeah
1: (laughs) it's uh it's um yeah it sometimes gets to this point where you're thinking about like why why I'm doing all of this like I'm I'm like overwhelmed with work and being a nice idiot Exactly. And when you start breaking it down, you realize like, okay, yeah, like I committed to this, I committed to this. So it's like that process of like, really being able to say no in a respectful way, but knowing that your time is one of the most valuable things that you have. Yeah,
0: for those who listen to this regularly, I think they know that uh, I can definitely uh, sympathize with that with that pain. So let's let's dive into your first pain that 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 we're gonna talk about today, which is influencing without authority. Right, you just got promoted, but you know, there's always somebody above you. There's always other levers that you have to pull. So in every organization, building bridges across departments and trying to have internal influence, it's key to move ideas forward. Right, you can have a lot of really good ideas, but if you're not managed to get them through nothing, nothing really happens. How much of a challenge has this been for you, whether now or at previous roles? Uh, how have you dealt with this?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's always like a constant battle between what you feel is the right thing to do and what you're seeing, uh, are the outcomes of the actions that the company is taking. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, like I've, I've, come to learn and understand that um, there's this middle ground between what you feel is right and what, they actually, what the company actually needs uh, at that point, right? So, uh, and I think it's a process of really understanding that there's a lot of unknowns out there and things that you don't know. So being able to, when you're approaching like a, a new initiative or if you wanna push forward, a new project, or you have a new idea. Understanding that whoever is in front of you knows things that you don't know is a really important uh, step towards like empathizing with that person and making sure that you are uh, putting putting yourself on their shoes in yeah. order to understand what are their motivations, what are what what success success means for them, uh, and kind of like making making that connection uh, outside of the things. That the actual things that you want to push forward.
0: Yeah, and, you know, something I, I hear really commonly, it's marketers complaining about how their CEOs, CFOs, or, or whatever, don't get marketing right? There's so much post out there, like, hey, my, never work for somebody who doesn't get marketing and all this kind of stuff. Uh, in my experience, there are two paths to, to prove the worth of marketing efforts. Like one of them is very rational. And it's like we were talking about before, like you get results that nobody can deny are fantastic. And then everybody's like, yeah. okay, I'm just going to shut up and listen to this kid because he knows exactly what <laughs> he's doing. Right. But that's way easier said than done, first and foremost, right? Because everybody's like, hey, I'm going to come in and kill it. Yeah, sure. But It's not that simple or we would all be doing amazing. And the other one is that the more human emotional path to that, right? Where uh, despite of the results, you become a person that inspires others across the organization and a team motivator and and a positive influence, right? I personally believe that the emotional route can be even more powerful in many situations than the rational one. Because in general, I believe that great marketing needs to convince the heart before it can convince the brain Right, it really yeah. needs to like touching the heart before it touches in the brain. So, and I think that's true internally as well. Has yeah. this been your experience? Do you feel like you get more leverage when you like really kill it with a, an experiment, or when you actually become a person that people feel inspired by?
1: Yeah, I I, I think my process has started uh, in like my process at Tally um, has been a lot of yeah. learnings about that. Um, what you were saying. Uh, I start with like more. I I've always, and I think it's something that we Latin Americans have, which is like being much more passionate, being more much yeah. more like, like talking loudly, like really excited about your ideas, like uh, like pushing yeah. them forward, like uh, making making like shit happens. Um, so one of the things that I've learned through my experience at Tali, and, and especially in the U.S. is like about. The, put all of that hard, but also be able to uh, frame it in a way that the other person, if you're talking with your CEO, if you're talking with your CFO, frame it in a way that it makes sense to them. So, um, for example, if you're talking with your CFO, like, you know that what they care about is, like, how the company is gonna do financially next year? So, how are those initiatives are gonna help them be more successful at running the, the financial plan for for the company or hitting the financial targets that they have? So, in a way, starting with the heart makes things a lot more easier because you can yeah. really motivate and engage with people. But then putting the, the kind of like that that passion in a box and uh, deliver it for for the CFO in this case, around numbers, results, uh, what's gonna be like the financial impact that it's gonna have in, in the company, uh, it, it makes it more powerful because it, it can resonate with the other person.
0: Yeah, yeah, and also I think like social capital, it's truly, is, is super important and people, uh, one of the advantages of being the nice idiot, right? Like the guy <laughs> that just helps everyone, is that you do accumulate a lot of this social capital, right? Like people, uh, when people, Feel like you've helped them when they've needed you and you want to like get, you know, that favor back, having some social cash at hand becomes really important, right? Have you felt at 100%. some point that that nice idiot thing that you were like, holy shit, why am I spending four hours working on this sheet then paid off four months later when you actually wanted to get the product team to work on something?
1: A hundred percent. Like I call them like uh, karma points, yeah. So, like, you are constantly building these karma points across organization. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you you are in a way like one one favor that you might do today might like get paid in like two three four six whatever is the timeline. Uh, the key thing I feel is that you should be able to do those things without thinking that you are going to get something back at some point. Of course. But but to but I don't. Personally, and this is something that I do on my everyday life when I, when I go and I network with people, and and obviously I always try to add value. But there's has to be some strategic thinking behind of with whom are you like making those relationships, with whom are you investing your time, and um, building building uh, basically those positive karma points. Uh, even if they might not get paid in the future, at least you're building that from a strategic standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I think like this is kind of like talking money with your employer, right? Like it's something that nobody wants to acknowledge that when you build relationships, there is a little bit of a selfish. Uh, intent there as well. Like eventually, you say, "Hey, I want to have a solid network if anything happens to me in the future, and, and and whatnot." Like our own relationship is a bit built on that, right? Like we met each other exactly. through marketing. And we're like, "Oh, you never know when Matthias can help me, and you never when." So, in a way, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you don't do it with that in mind all the time, right? You're not like, "Oh, I'm going to help this guy because I need something back." But exactly. there's of course an element of that in the equation, right? That that that's super clear. And one of the biggest mistakes I see people. Uh, when it comes to influencing, it's that uh, they try to skip the line, right? Like this yep. kind of stuff, you were just saying about our Latin, uh, Latinality, I guess I just made <laughs> up a word for you, listen to the podcast, but um, yeah, sure, we, we get intense and we're like, hey, what, you want to push this forward, but um, there's no skipping the line on this one, right? Like when you just join an yep. organization in particular or when you're new in every sort of surrounding, you need to get in the queue and do things one thing at a time, right? So um, the question is, have you made that mistake in your career of like coming in, guns blazing, being I'm so freaking cool that you guys should listen in to me and then you just hit the wall shortly after? Has that happened to you? Uh,
1: yeah, I have a, like one episode where, where that happened. It was working at Ernest and uh, it was my first time working in like these high growth <laughs> startups in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, like I, I felt like basically like shit. I was... Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. hot shed, like coming from Chile to like play in the major leagues, like basically like yeah. play, it's, it felt like playing for the Real Madrid or Barcelona, yeah. like <laughs> making that jump. So I was like all excited about it. I wanted to push all of my ideas forward, and uh, one of the, the one of the first things that I started to focus on was on um, working on basically optimizing our website for uh, SEO, making sure that we were doing like a good job on the content side of things that we were like our, that overall website was technic- technically sound. And, um, I started to realize that there was like s- some things happening on the content side and we have someone that uh, oh, she was man. running all of the content team. I so can, I can I see where in, this is going. Oh God. Okay. I, I came in, I jump into uh, like all of these blog posts, like I changed like most of the URLs, like oh, I added I added keywords, I added like H uh, one <laughs> titles, and like I remember her coming back to me saying like, "What the fuck? <laughs> like, w- what did you do? Like, you little kid? Like, what oh, are you God. doing with my work?" Um, and uh, I had a conversation with my manager as well, yep. and and uh, yeah, it it, it, it was. With a lot of respect, right? Like, uh, it wasn't like they were, like, really angry about me, but they kind of, like, said, like, hey, like, there's processes, there's, like, a way to do things. Yeah. Uh, and always be careful of, like, if if you're pushing something forward, that who are you going to be uh, kind of, like, tapping on their toes or like how, like, are like, it's how people are going to feel for when you do that work. So I think that's, that's one of the important lessons that I got from that experience.
0: That That is super common, right? Like how many, how many guys that join a company have been in a room and being like, yeah, but this part of our product is shit or like, and, and if you don't stop for a second and think that some person in the room might have spent seven months of their life on that part that you're calling shit in front of their faces, it's like, dude, exactly it can really backfire, right? And, and, yeah. and it's very easy. It's like when you analyze a business from the outside, it's so easy to say, oh man, what a shit idea they had. But when you're like driving, stirring the wheel, like it's not that obvious, right? Otherwise yeah. everybody's a general after the battle, right? It's like, uh, exactly. it's super easy. But the other thing is that, you know, people, you were mentioning this before, but I want to go a bit deeper. Like people tend to think that, influencing the work in a company is more about talking, talking, talking and less about listening, right? But it, it is pretty much the other way around, as you were saying, like if people don't feel like you're listening to their ideas, they basically won't give a shit about yours, right? That's, yep. that's to begin with. And active listening is something that I personally really struggle with uh, because my mind is always rushing like a thousand percent and I just feel like if I don't say what I have in my mind right now, I'm just going to lose my train of thought and I'm going to let this fantastic idea go, which was probably shit to begin with, right? But yeah. I felt like it was amazing. Uh, and one thing that I found works for me, it's that taking notes so when somebody's speaking I just tend to take notes and 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 then after they stop speaking I go well is this even worth saying anymore often not really right it was just shit to begin with uh yeah. and I also found that it's really important maybe in this day and age to also do it in a notepad or or, or not have a uh, laptop because then people just feel like you're chatting in slack right uh, yeah. are you a good listener or this is something that you struggle with like people that are listening can see that I've already interrupted you like 20 times so I'm clearly not good at this what about you?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's like, a, it might be that we need to do a study of like Chilean people. It might yeah, be right? that like a com- commonality there because like it, I struggle with that every single day. Oh man, this is um, great. I can now yeah. use this to tell people here that it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, feel free to share this across across your company. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, like active listening is like, it's really hard, uh, especially nowadays when We are working remote, we have Zoom open in another screen, we have Slack, we have WhatsApp, we have the email, we have, in my case, crypto. It's like, (laughs) there's so many things happening at the same time that it's really hard to make the conscious decision of like, okay, I'm gonna stop doing everything that I'm doing right now and I'm actually gonna listen to what they have to say. And um, one of the things that I've learned and something that have helped me because I know that my brain is always rushing with new ideas and like like when someone is talking, I'm already starting to think like 10, yeah. 10 step away, like, okay, what I'm gonna say when they stop talking. Yeah. Uh, so something that I, I tend to see that works for me is like I put the conversations in, in recording and I try to keep a little bit more quiet in the, in the meeting so I can then process what they said like I can make notes and then on the recordings I can go back and say like okay this is like a a section where I felt uh, I could have added something and there's no issue in following up after right Uh, I think doing that exercise of following up is 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 really really powerful and can make a lot of changes to to the way that you you are not only I'm talking about uh, like uh, effective communication yeah um, doing that process of like taking a step back really process what you want to say structure in a way that makes sense and then go and and, and share it in, in in another channel
0: but that's um, a really good point because uh, the main argument to interrupt is just that you think that you have this fantastic idea right which uh, but if exactly. you actually do it later you're gonna realize that that follow-up will probably be much shorter and the person felt hurt at the moment and they will feel feel heard afterwards as well because you're sending your notes, clearly showing that you were listening to what they were saying, right? So exactly. about this thing that you said, this Mike. so that's a really good good one. Um, then the other part is that, and I want to make a segue to our next pain. right? One effective way of having more influence in a business, it's becoming an expert in an area, right? If you're the person to go to about SEO, then you will have very strong leverage and influence in that area. Everybody will come to you from the CEO down. Um, and one of the pains you wanted to talk about is whether become a specialist or a generalist, which I find it really, really interesting. So some people have a clear plan for their skill and learning, right? I'm going to do this course then, then I'm going to do this one. You have your playlist in all of your different platforms and so on. Are you one of those people or are you a complete mess?
1: I'm a complete mess. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I actually admire the people that um, can pick, like, some sort of vocation or, like, like, if we think about uh, talking about, like, growth marketing, this T-shaped, like, learning um, process or, like, the skills that you need to develop, there's people that go really in-depth into one specific skill. Like, I I really admire that because, uh, like, as you were saying, like, it makes you put yourself as an expert in the organization for that specific thing. Um, my work have led me to do, basically be like a jack-of-all-trades, so I've been kind of like from data to lifecycle marketing to organic growth to product-led growth. And um, it's, it's kind of hard when you need to kind of present one of these things as an expert because Everyone knows that you are doing multiple things. Yeah. But also gives you what what I do like about being a generalist is that it gives you that broad perspective of how things are working overall. You have like a good understanding of how, how you have a good understanding of how the business overall is operating. So you can have I, it feels like I take the best decisions when I have like the the bigger context possible. So yeah. if I understand what the CEO is thinking, and then how that translates into our mission as a company, and how then translate into the life cycle strategy that w- we need to implement, then I-, I feel that I'm doing basically I'm excelling at my work. Um, if I go really in depth into one thing, I-, I start to be like this tunnel vision, where like it's hard for me to start like getting ideas and feedback from outside to really inform what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think a a lot of people have a bit of a prejudice with with generalists, right? Like they basically like a jack-of-all-trades, master of none kind of thing, right? But if you want to be a manager particularly or like leading a multi-disciplinary team? Oh my God, the English. (laughs) Okay, okay, that kind of stuff. Like it's often the case in marketing that you just have to be a jack-of-all-trades, right? Like instead of becoming really, really good at one thing, um, you you get to become good at, at a subset of things, and and otherwise it will be it will be very hard for you, right? So a bit more width and a bit less depth, right? Uh, yeah. What I think it, it's doable though is to like maybe you know reach out to try to read really really good. You just mentioned the T shape model or whatever. I think all of these things are just jargon, but um, yeah. you do ca- you can aim to become like you know in the upper eighty percent of people, uh, right? Of, of like two of those things. Yeah. right? And uh, and then like decent at all the rest, right? Um, With every, all of your interests from crypto, from here to there, from SEO, like, have you kind of like been able to nail down what those two or three? Sure, you don't want to be a CRO expert in that only, but yeah. there must be a couple of things in the arsenal that you say, like, these two I could excel at.
1: Um, Yeah, that's a good question. And Kind of like before, I answered like specific things that I do that I feel that I I've been learning a lot and what like basically what drives me and one of the things that I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot remember who wrote this article, but basically th- what they were saying is that getting to be in the one percent, so to be like an expert, like as someone that basically like is the. Master of like Facebook ads or master of social ads. Yeah, like to be in that one percent is really, really, really hard. But moving from like in multiple different uh, disciplines, like what you were saying, like life cycle marketing, CRO, SEO, etc., move from like the bottom eighty to the top twenty or the top fifteen yeah. is much more achievable. So, and when when you are in the let's call it like in the top ten percentile of different initiatives. I feel it gives you a better breadth of understanding than working your way to the top on one. Uh, but this is my personal opinion and the way that I've experienced uh, my personal growth across um, across my career. Um, and to answer your question, uh, I would say this perspective of like, starting first with like the company mission the the vision what we want to achieve um uh, have helped me to more to to decide to go in this path of like how we build systems and frameworks that can help us um grow organically so the, where, where And what I mean with organic growth is not only like doing SEO or yeah. uh, conversion rate optimization. It's like really thinking from uh, a way that how do we develop a product uh, and how we create the, the, the internal processes in a product that can help us scale uh, growth. And yeah. basically or organic is a representation of how much energy, uh, your users are really in love with your product. How are they talking about their product? And you can engineer all of that. So that's a cool thing. When when you have a product that, like Tally, we're basically um, talking about your finances, talking about like having credit card debt, it's not, it's not a really common thing. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of taboos on that. You can still engineer your product so f- people feel compelled to talk about it with their friends and their families. Uh, and I think that process uh, is one of the areas that I felt more more interested uh, on the, the last couple but of I th- months.
0: I think this is like, the answer is right there, right? Because like, in a way, you're not cut out to be like a specialist of only one thing, because even the thing that you want to specialize is a combination of multiple things, right? Like to get that job done, you're going to have to be really good at CRO, you're going to have to be really good at, at the product, you're going to have to be really good at SEO, and a bunch of things, yeah. right? So I, I think when you think in that way, that's also a sign to be like, "Hey, dude, you are not the the SEO one percenter, right? You are not yeah. the CRO. You're not for that, right? There's other yeah. dudes that will know every little tweak to do in the algorithm, every little thing. But when you think more holistically, you're bound to become a bit more of a generalist, right? Yeah, that's super exactly. interesting. Okay,
1: and just to add there, like, like. And for the listeners, like there is nothing wrong on going the no. path of like I wanna be an specialist versus I want to be an a journalist. I just feel uh, that you should go the route that makes you more passionate about the work that you do every day. At the end of the day, we work from nine to five. Yeah, but like we usually work more than that. Uh, so basically try to try to push yourself to do things that you actually are excited about waking up in the morning, going into that, and how you can keep learning and iterating over.
0: Yeah, and, and there's no right or wrong on this one, right? But, like, both have risks, right? Like, when, when you are a, a true specialist on something, um, there's also a benefit that comes with that, is that if you're the world-renowned copywriter, then you're never going to be out of work. Like, everybody's going to be want to work with exactly. you. You're always going have, to have the biggest brands reaching out to you. Because, sure, they have other people doing copywriting, but you're that guy. Right and and getting there as you say is really really hard. On the other side, um, it's very risky as well, right? Because you're putting all of your time, all of your effort in a single discipline. In the world that we live in right now, right? Let's say you are you know a Google Ads specialist, and all of a sudden our Sundar decides to say, you know what? I have a new algorithm that optimizes itself with AI or whatever the hell people can come up with. So you don't need a person to manage your accounts anymore. This thing is like flawlessly automated, like gone, right? Exactly. You're, you're, you're out of the picture on, on, on that. Exactly. Um, do you think being a generalist is a bit safer in terms of future-proofing how do you try to make sure that you're future-proofing your career in that respect in the skills you choose to acquire or is that not even something you've thought of
1: no i uh, i think that's something that i actually think a lot i uh, i think a lot about mm-hmm. um and uh, especially with the example that you were saying right we we know that automation is coming uh, Yeah. we we like in the, in the marketing field, we see this every day with all of the things that are happening on Facebook, with their algorithm, what happens with Google, um, and basically what they're pushing forward is to remove uh, the need for companies to have someone manage actively managing those campaigns. Yep. Uh, and Because that way they can basically democratize and they can get more revenue out of it because they have more companies that can basically advertise through these platforms. So I, the way that I try to approach this is I, I try to be like on top of what's going on in the world for the things that I care about. For example, on SEO, on organic growth, on product growth, uh, what are the latest trends, what is happening on privacy yeah. and, and security, what's happening on um, user behavior models, uh, what, what, what people are talking about in terms of um, like even like latest tactics and 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 things that you can like start testing but that like when you get into that rhythm of like understanding that there's people like experts on each of these areas which is awesome because they're they're sharing like really in-depth knowledge about what they do and you can be following them across like social media or through their like now everyone has a newsletter or a podcast yeah Uh, tell me about (laughs) it an idiot uh, can do a podcast now um man i'm like super proud of you this is (laughs) is amazing um so knowing that you can follow like you on through your podcast and learn more about specific things uh that way you can start like directionally changing where you need to like spend more time learning and like developing new skills so to give like a really really like clear example uh tally is a mobile first company um uh, basically, we have developed all of our products through this uh, both an Android and an iOS app. And uh, next year, early next year, we don't know when, Apple is going to remove uh, IDFA from being like the universal tracking system that we have used to right. basically measure and attribute uh, the performance of yeah. our marketing spend. Um, and this, like, this is something that was announced, like let's say six months ago, and since then, like I've started to realize, like, oh damn, like the, the world from the world is gonna look really different for us in like six months. Yeah. Uh, what are the things that I need to start understanding now that is gonna help me better position myself, but also the company and the work that I do for for Tally in a way that we can kind of like ride this new wave. Uh, so. I've started to learn much more about incrementality frameworks. I, I've I've started to read more about multi-touch attributions. I've started to really understand how did like basically the pipelines of our data systems are connected. So how we can prepare ourselves for this. So, yeah, in a way like just like hearing what's going on in the world, like it's it, it helps you shape the direction where you like you. you or at least for me, where where I need to keep developing my 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 personal growth and my career.
0: But that that's super interesting because in a way as well, like at startups, um, you don't often yeah, you, you like to think you pick but often you don't get to pick right like, like this sometimes the turn of events just pushes you in one direction and you have to become really good at something just because you need to right um, yeah. in general in startups having a broader skill set it's very appreciated like for example I studied audio engineering in college right and now I have a goddamn podcast or I uh, <laughs> you know I edit a lot of audio in the early days when we were said okay let's just not spend money on a freelancer like I'll just do it myself or video or, or, or whatnot right Are you also comfortable like uh, with crossing those boundaries and say, like you just said, right, you're going to remove this, then I'll step up and I'll become that person. Or are you a little bit more like, you know what, I'm actually on my path of becoming an SEO expert. So I would like to stick to that. Can we just outsource this to another guy in AppWork or something?
1: Or or, or you're the guy to jump on it. I would say that I'm a little bit of the guy that jump into the, into the problem and goes like face to face to it. And like yeah. many times I get hurt like badly. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's I, I, probably we relate to this and goes back to that early question about, uh, or the, the the comment about uh, saying no to things. No. Uh, so it's super, yeah, yeah, it's super hard to me to say no. And especially when I see this new challenge that we are going to have to face, like I, I, I tend to be like okay, like I'll I'll kick like I'll do the work, uh, like I'll I'll push things forward, I'll, I'll I'll rally like the teams and making sure that this is like an important topic for the company, uh, educate the company. But what I've started to realize is that I, I don't have to do that by myself. Like I don't have to be alone on that journey. So yeah. even though that I might uh, like I might see the problem clearly, uh, I know that at the company at Tally, there's people that are much better than me on framing those problems. And what I try to do now is like um, bringing them on board early on that journey so we can clearly state what's, this, like, what's the problem that we're solving for, what are the learnings that we need to get and where we want to go in the next X amount of time. So Yeah,
0: or even um, outside the company, right? Like that's also something ex- like you're like, hey, we need to figure this out. It's going to take us four months. Yeah, let's bring somebody who, br- who figured it out already, right? Let's skip that yeah. part. I think that's, exactly. that's also super important. Um, so in all honesty, to start wrapping up with this topic, I, I personally feel that there is like no right or wrong here. There's, it's not a binary thing either. Like people tend to think like either you're a generalist or a specialist and it, it, there's all sorts of shades in between. Um, I honestly think that for me, it comes down to like, if you want to be a strategic leader and kind of like have influence in a lot of areas of the business, you're going to end up being a generalist you want it or not. Yeah. Right. Uh, you, you need to be one of those people that say, like, I am extremely passionate about this particular thing only, and I'm I'm okay with the other things things of the business just going in directions with other people, and you know, in, in startups, you'll you'll mostly see a little bit of the of the first type, I guess. But the third pain. Exactly. Uh, you wanted to discuss was communication. You kind of jumped in it before, but we kind of like jump in it a little bit, but we can discuss it a bit more deeply. So communicating effectively, right? Um, Communication is key. I think now that in these remote days, this is like even more evident. So many long emails go unread and Slack messages that you thought everybody was going to dig into, like nobody reads. What are your main challenges? Uh, And not because just of COVID, but in general, when it comes to communication in your organization, what is the things that really... You struggle with on this area?
1: Yeah, I think as a starter, it's just that uh, uh, English is my second language. Ah, it's
0: alright. Uh, Come on.
1: No, I I, I know, but uh, I'm. This is more of like a personal thing. I feel that I'm super, like conscious about it, uh, which plays uh, a good role to be conscious about English not being my my first language. So I know that there's some limitations and. it it, it gives me the frameworks to think about when to make pauses, when, when, like, actually, like, follow up with people to make sure that they understood what I was trying to say. Um, But in in the other hand, also it has some negative consequence to be so conscious about it that, uh, like, it prevents me from maybe, like, be a little bit more of myself uh, in meetings or, like, speak um, more, more, like freely uh, on the company, uh, et cetera. Like, so I feel that's kind of like the, one of the first things that comes to my mind when I'm talking about uh, effective communication. is like, okay, like I understand that English is my second language, so I need to do an extra effort in how I communicate my, my ideas, how I, I, I framework my ideas, and how I structure what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And that means that I need to prepare a little bit more, and it's fine. Like when you realize that it's basically like going to, like it's basically like playing like a football match. Like yeah. you, you want to train over the weekend, uh, over the week to play on the weekend, right? So it's the same for me. Like if I have a big presentation, I know for me to be able to to communicate effectively, I need to take the time to prepare for it, like uh, practice it. Like uh, so, it's something that uh, that I that I spend a lot of time thinking about.
0: Yeah, and there's also a, an extra layer to that uh, because, yeah, it's also not my my native <laughs> language, right? But I, th- I find the culture layer is also even more complex, right? Because... Um, also we have very different ways of communicating in terms of what you can uh-huh. say what you cannot say I am very famous for saying very inappropriate things so I have to really watch my <laughs> mouth when it comes I have a really inappropriate you know not lawyer friendly sense of humor so I need to when we do this as well like try to like be like okay that joke is actually it's gonna get me cancelled <laughs> right like especially now that you know you know this means yeah. of like how hard it is to not offend people in 2020 right so yeah, that's an extra layer of that besides that like something I find difficult in communications nowadays is finding that sweet spot between too short and too long uh, I get you know these emails now that are like four words in it Short. Sure, let's do that kind of, kind of, like it. Bec- there's no on a, on a way I'm happy there's not necessary anymore to say hey hope you're doing well in these trying times bullshit like I, I appreciate yeah. a straight to the point email but on yeah. the other hand I, I, I hope that you tell me enough so I don't have to get back to you seven times until I figure out what the hell you want it right? Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you have this balance? Do you think you mastered this like long versus short balance or are you the guy that still struggling with that?
1: No, I'm definitely like struggling with that. And, uh, I think it goes back a little bit to what, what you were saying on like culture. Uh, and yeah, like we come from a different culture We're in Latin America, you go like, eight rounds like you do like all of these circles and like you try to be super nice to try to say like one thing that could have said in like one sentence yeah and it has been like kind of like a culture shock uh, or it was when i when i first came to to the u.s that like uh, like you don't have to do all of that like you can go straight to the point and it's not offensive it's is like it's what people want to hear like they appreciate their time so, um, yeah. I, I think I'm still like in this process of like, uh, being able to tell a story because I, I feel that I, in, in communication, being able to create this story, being a storyteller is really important, uh, where you can put all of these context around what you want to say, but starting with what you want, uh, whoever is, is in front of you to get out of that conversation. So start with what you want, uh, like, that effective communica- communication. So say what you want to say and then kind of, like, bring the context of what you, why you wanted to say that. So mm-hmm. those are kind of, like, the work that I'm constantly doing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's... I think there's, like, obviously, like, some cultural things going on, but yeah. as anything in the world, like, you can practice it. And, like, if you're conscious about it, I think you, you can always do a, a better a better work a better job
0: yeah, the, the other part is, is is frequency, right, because one thing is how how large those communications are, whether you put a huge message or, or, or whatnot, but frequency is super important, and very often not uh, you know now with the slacks and all these autumn, you know like quick chat tools that we have at work, it's so easy to just annoy people, right And communication yeah. is tricky because when you are communicating too frequently, it's extremely distracting. Right? Uh, A lot of us have, like, next to us WhatsApp, Telegram, uh, Slack, email, uh, and all this stuff going around. So I think a key part is understanding what you don't need to communicate. Like, uh, I I usually try to think about this for anybody in my team listening. Don't say it's bullshit. I I try, I really do try. But uh, it's like, if I got charged 50 cents for every Slack message, right? Would I just send the one I was thinking about sending? Yeah. That one that just says, like, hey, How's it going? Like, there, there, there's like nothing in it, right? There's like nothing yeah. interesting to say. That's not going to bring anything yeah. to the team, like nothing like that. Um, because there are so many things going on. So, one rule of thumb for me is that if what I'm about to send, which will distract them, like regardless of whatever setup they have, it will distract them. Is it more important than the thing that they're working on right now? Or can it wait? Right? And if yeah. it can wait, Why don't I just wait until the end of the day and send all my thoughts in one go? Or even better, I wait for the next team meeting and I just tell them then, right? Um, Exactly. But the thing is that this depends on the person as well, right? So uh, you can have uh, some person that do this very well and some people that just keep nagging you and what they could say in one message they say in 25. Um, Yeah, do you do, Have you guys been able to, like, work through this as an organization, you think? Or is it still, like, something that gets out of control sometimes?
1: I, I, I think for us at Tally, the challenge is, like, a little bit of the opposite. Like, like we need ah. to improve the way that we communicate and we need to improve, like, that frequency, as mm-hmm. you were saying. Uh, it feels like many times we are really careful about not interrupting the work of other people or, um, like because we have so much work, we forget about doing regular updates of what we're doing. And especially nowadays with remote work, it feels like being on top of things and really being sharing what you're doing with the rest of the organization is really, really important. So they can actually understand uh, not only what are you doing on your day-to-day life, but also what, mm. what's, what are the initiatives that we are uh, pushing forward, how, how that is helping the company achieve the goals that we have um, so I would say like a tally is a little bit of, of the under sense. a little bit under communication. yeah for sure. And so we we, we we have had like specific things that we are doing to improve that for so for example, from from the growth and the marketing team, what, what we're doing is that, we set up like a specific Slack channel where we are gonna be making updates uh, like every Monday, so once a week, yeah. we make an update of like, hey, this is what, what are the things that we are working on? This is our the learnings that we had from last month or the last few weeks, and this is some of the like results that are helping us get to the like hit the OKRs that we have. I,
0: I, um, I've been down that path, and what's tricky is that this line where that balance is found is like, so goddamn thin, right? There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of headroom there. So you can easily go from under communicating to over communicating. So what, what ends up happening is that people say, Oh, that's great that the growth team did that. Let's do that too. And all of a sudden every Monday there's like 25 updates and you're like, dude, I would have to spend my entire morning reading all this shit. Right. So, so that's, that's super tricky. I I I, think, yeah, it's difficult.
1: I, I agree 100%, but what I tend to say to new employees at Tally or uh, new team members is start by over-communicating. Like, don't hold your thoughts or if you want to share an update or if you want to share something, like, start by over-communicating and then it's easier to regulate to the basically get to like a frequency that makes sense to everyone mm-hmm. but if you start in the other in the other part where it's like not communicating is i feel that's a skill that is much more harder to develop rather than like than scaling down uh over communicating so
0: yeah and in a way i feel like like making it a, an organizational priority is super important as well right like everybody's focused on growing the business, of course and this and the other but if you're not taking care of your comms eventually it 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 really backfires right so really setting rules and make sure that people commit to them because i said at the beginning right like everybody's different like a lot of people will be like yeah i don't want to talk to anybody leave me alone uh, and yeah. yes, people will be like, oh, if I'm using headphones, please don't interrupt me. And then you have to learn yeah. the quirks of every fucking guy in the office because you're like, oh, <laughs> this guy with headphones, I cannot talk to him. This other guy loves that I interrupt him. This other- so yeah. you, you need to find a way to inter- to like standardize that for the business yeah. and really, really enforce it, right? And have and, and yeah. name a champion of it, whoever it is, right? And be like, dude, you need to really enforce it. So when somebody sends something too often, you need to be like, hey, guys, like remember these guidelines and and so on it's just really tricky it's a it's a very yeah. difficult thing to manage
1: i uh, yeah i've uh, I've had a couple of experience uh, with that as well especially like when when you are over communicating and sometimes you get f- you want things to happen faster yeah you might skip what we were talking you might skip lines and uh, it might be that for example instead of going the route of talking with the PM to get these prioritized in the backlog and create the ticket. I I might just go like the line of like, I'm going to talk with the engineer because this is like a super easy change. And uh, like, as we grew as an organization and more processes were put in place, those conversations started to be much more difficult and regulated, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing, but also it creates more bureaucracy. So things get a little bit more slow. But at the end of the day, when you want to build like a sustainable organization that can push things forward and make things happen. A scale. You really need to have, yeah. You, you need to remove some of that chaos. Kek, chaos?
0: Yeah, chaos. Yeah, yeah we're having a yeah. bad English day. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> chaos.
1: Uh, and uh, bring it down to, okay, what are like effective ways to communicate with, uh, effective ways to communicate with these people and also effective ways for you to get th- the things that you want to uh, uh, make, ha- uh, make it happen.
0: Yeah. I want to just wrap up this topic. A few things that I think work. One of them is um, having a morning huddle with the team 15 to 20 minutes and and make sure that everybody understands that that is the space where you need to bring the most important blocking things. That is not that the meeting is over and then you start slacking everybody. No, it's there. It's that at that time. So after you hang up on that call, then everybody can truly focus. I think that's super important. If nobody mentioned anything there, then you're lost onto the next one because otherwise you're going to be interrupting everybody. That's important. And the other one is that one thing that I found that is a little bit of a hack, it's that I like to communicate more than in Slack in in project management tools like Asana. I'm a big fan of Asana, free advertising. You can sponsor me later. But uh, in that one, I mean by, when it's a task-related system, right? Like you are forced to only talk about things that are relevant to a particular task. So you you, you are forced to avoid the random chatty things because whenever you say something, you need to put it in a task. There's no general chat. There's no like, hey, I just wanted to say something to you, right? You need to say about this X, Y, or Z, right? So I think making that your main channel over Slack, it's good because then people understand that, okay, this is the channel I cannot miss anything on. If I didn't read something in Slack, it's fine. Probably it's not any blocking anybody. I can read later. But if I miss something here, these are the stuff where people are gonna be like, dude, I really need to, you to tell me this before I keep going, right? So I, that's one other trick that I found. And the other one is, yeah, to try to keep it as succinct as possible. If you guys have heard my questions, you definitely know that I'm not good at that. But uh, I think in a way, Keeping it very succinct and also like highlighting like a too long didn't read section where you say like if you're too lazy to read this entire thing, these are the three things everybody should get from this. So you guys know. I think it's also a bit of a good practice. Anything you wanna add in there that you were thinking before we go to? I the agree, a
1: hundred, a hundred percent with with what you said, and. Uh, I, what the only thing that I would add is, if, if you're thinking about sending a Slack message or sending a, sending an update to to the organization or to your team or to a specific team member, like, and this is going back to some of the topics that we have talked about before, but it's like put yourself on their shoes and like really think is is this what I'm gonna write like if I would be on their on on, the, on their position, exactly. would would they care about it? Like, it, it, are they are they gonna find any valuable information that is gonna make them more successful at what they do?
0: Yeah.
1: And if 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 your answer is no, then you can skip that and maybe like mentioning it in another forum. Exactly. But especially with with like chat communication, like being thoughtful about what is the impact that you're generating in the work of the other person is is really really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we're coming on to the last pain of the day, which is positioning, right? Like positioning your business, particularly in a busy space, because fintech is booming like crazy. uh, And you guys are one more player in that whole space. So in Europe, companies like ADN, Klarna, you know, Revolut and the US, you have Brex, Robinhood, NerdWallet, Tally and and many, many more. Um, In a busy space, good positioning becomes super, super important. How much of a challenge has this been for you guys?
1: Um, yeah, for for us, it has been uh, quite a bit of a challenge, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, the fintech space is booming all around the world. Um, there's new companies being launched and created like almost every every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the focus where we have spent a lot of time thinking this term, and I would say the last six months is developing our brand. Uh, I to be completely honest, I didn't know anything about branding and like positioning and uh, like It's normal, right? How...
0: Because when you have a product <laughs> like you guys, you tend to yeah. be like, I'm going to win by an amazing product only.
1: Exactly. Right. And uh, you start to realize how much of an important it is to build uh, trust and that confidence with your users, even before they experience your product. You, you might know that your product is amazing, but that doesn't mean that the product, Someone that just saw your website is going to think that, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to trust this brand to manage all of my credit cards. Uh, I have to add my financial information, and then they're going to give me, like, 10K in a line of credit. Uh, It's like the level of commitment um, is something that you have to keep in mind. And when you're developing your uh, brand guidelines, when you're developing your brand voice, you need to keep, uh, like, consider all of those things uh, to to build that, um, that relationship even before they experience the product. So, uh, at Tally, the last six months, uh, we hired uh, a, a CMO. She, she has a lot of experience working on, on, on brand, and uh, uh, she has done an amazing job on kind of like putting those frameworks and putting the, the mindset of, of the brand first, uh, which I, I think is really, really important.
0: Yeah. And I think to, to your point as well, like in the connection with branding, I think what a lot of people get confused with positioning is its relationship with, with value proposition, right? A lot of people think that they're exactly the same thing, but the main difference there in my view is that positioning is completely related with those around you, right? So it's how you sit in this environment when there's so many things around you that yeah. you need to have a position there. So it's not exactly the problem you solve. Like, you know, in this case, uh, reducing your, your credit card debt, but it is actually, why should I get it on top of my banking app, on top of all of the other things that I have on my phone? Because right now, the average person has a lot of that. Um, is this, what, what's the biggest issue for you right now? Is it to internally define this? So to see, we as Tally want to sit here in this case, or you have that very much figured out, but the issue is to put that in the mind of the consumer?
1: No, for, actually for us, is uh, it's really making sure that people understand what they are signing up for. Uh, the way that Tally works is that we offer this revolving line of credit that users um, use or, or we use to pay off the credit card debt of our clients and users. Um, and that's a concept that is super novel and and, and and doesn't exist here in the U.S. Usually, you either take a personal loan um, or you go through the route of like getting like a zero percent APR uh, credit card that you use to basically pay off your your other credit card. So, yeah. like you get in more debt. Um, the way that we approach it is that we offer you this line of credit, uh, and because we offer you a lower interest rate, we save you money every month on on your credit card debt. But that's something that people, it's really hard for them to understand because it's, it's new. So for us it's about finding the way of really being able to express through our value prop and through what we do as a product, um, how Tally works. I think that's like the foundational concept of everything that we are pushing forward is how, how Tally can make you successful to, to kind of achieve your financial goals, but also how Tally works and operates in a more like um, um, foundational level with your finance to get you to get to that goal that you have to get, which right now is to be out of credit card debt.
0: Right, and that that's also like a classic, I guess, sign of, of positioning issues, right? When your current customers love you, but it's really hard to explain to new prospects why they are gonna love you. Uh, Very related to the value prop, of course. But uh, the other thing is that I was just referring before is that the average person nowadays has a lot of apps, right? To manage their money. Um, A lot of people have an account in a regular normal bank and then three accounts in like different digital banks because they offer a particular product that's different or they work without commission in the country that I go to, whatever it is. Um, From a marketing and business perspective, like many of us think that you cannot really be a great sofa and a great bed at the same time. Right It's kind of a marketing, it's kind of a marketing rule. You are really amazing at one thing and then you try to not branch out, right? But there are a lot of players in your sector that have branched out, right? They say, yeah. "Hey, I'm the old fintech solution. I solve all of your issues." Um, what in your view, not even in Tally's view, like in, in your view, uh, what is the path to take there? Is it, is it depth over width or width over depth? Do you go deeper or do you expand and solve every problem at the time?
1: Yeah, I, 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 that's a really good question, and it, it's something that actually we have tried to do to expand uh-huh. across markets, and it has basically backfired at us. Just because to be successful at running a company and to be successful at uh, at growing on a space like fintech, you you you, you have to be like a, a, a ruthless pr- prioritization. Uh, like, yeah, you have to have ruthless prioritization have to pick your so battles. Really. Yeah, exactly. Like, really understand where are you putting your eggs, really understand why are you making those bets uh, and how that's going to help you scale to be a more successful uh, company and that you can offer a better product and a better experience to your users, right? Um, I feel that the way that, um, the way that these fintechs have developed is about uh, winning one market and then expanding to other markets. I feel that Credit card debt is a $1 trillion
0: Yeah, I know, it's insane in the US, yeah.
1: It's it's insane. So, like, we are not afraid of competition. Like, I feel that, like, having competition actually makes us look at what other players are doing and be better at deciding what we need to do. Uh, And also, it's such a big market that I don't think there is, like, a winner-takes-all. Like, there's going to be... Uh, companies that are going to be integrated into different verticals and we will see what happens in the future uh, like yeah. hopefully we have more regulation that doesn't allow like these FANG companies to acquire every single company out there and every sector and build these like like monstrous type of uh, um, businesses where they have control over all of your social media, financial life uh, like things that you buy etc etc. But so the way that we approach Atali is like going really in-depth into one solution. So we have worked five years on making uh, the first fully automated credit card debt manager. Uh, We have achieved that. Uh, We have a product that has 99% retention rate month of a month. Um, We need to start building now the trust on the user so we can get better conversion rates. We can improve on, on the top of funnel. And then the question for us right now is that because how Tally works is that uh, people have to go through some uh, credit qualifications in order to access this line of credit. So right, right on the top of funnel, we are uh, basically rejecting 80% of our users. So oh. the way that we tell, we, we, we tell ourselves this story is that we have, a, we have an experience that is broken for 80% of the people that are interacting with Tally. Uh, so the, the the challenge that we are uh, pushing forward right now is how with the, that same mission and how we like the way that uh, philosophy that we have developed through our current product, how we can expand that so we can create a better experience to these eighty percent of the users that they might not qualify for the line of credit now, but that doesn't mean that it might they might not be able to do it on the future or that we cannot help them get in a better shape on their financial life. So we are pushing for new products that are going to allow us to kind of like cover that user experience. And that's what we care about.
0: Yeah. When it comes to positioning, we're talking about fintech mostly, right? But you, you also need to acknowledge that it's a financial industry. It's a very traditional industry. So you don't only need to position yourself next to other fintech solutions. You actually need to position yourself with the good old traditional solution as well. Right. Like, where do you stand on your comparison versus uh, my traditional bank in Oklahoma that I've used my entire life? Like, where do you stand there? Right. So I think is that also a challenge or have you guys go into the decision of being like, you know, people that use traditional services are just not our crowd and we just want to focus on fintech using individuals? Or you also try to get some space in the newcomers from from the traditional side?
1: No, I, I I think we totally are uh, focusing on getting these newcomers yeah. uh, from from the traditional banking. I feel that overall, especially here in the US, like the the, the banking system has kind of like let people down in a lot of different ways uh, with all of these shady practices, with like the the amount of power that they have across the across the industry. Um, basically, what they have done. Um, with, with the market overall. So uh, we are getting to this point where people are like actually understanding this. Like, right. hey, like these companies are like, like they're not doing any good to us. So they're like looking for new players that offer a, a different alternative to specific pain points that they have as well. So banks usually are like these, basically these Swiss, uh, yeah. Swiss army knife where they, they do a lot of things, but they don't do any, like, in a really good way. Yeah. Uh, with these fintech players, uh, they can find, like, specific solutions to... Spe- exactly, to specific problems. All right. So we, we we are kind of, like... We are, from a position standpoint, we are trying to, uh, like, kind of, like, battle uh, that uh, that thought or that, um, that thinking on bankings as the like owners of all of your financial life yeah exactly
0: okay last last one on this topic and then we go to the resources to wrap it up so um people say hey figure out the two or three things that you do better than anybody else and it seems very straightforward but in reality it's not that straightforward sometimes it's really difficult do you feel like everybody at tally if i grab them tomorrow on the street and be like hey why, tally? two, three things. They all know exactly what to say, or it is this something that you guys are still uh, debating about.:
1: Well, I think we are like an hour in in this conversation, so like, I, I probably if ever <laughs> it's a topic if, for another we, any, episode, I, yeah no, I, and also like if any anyone at Tally was listening to this, probably they dropped <laughs> off already, so I can say it. Uh, yeah, I think if you ask a tally. What does Tally do, and why are we different? You are gonna for every single person that you ask at the company, you are gonna get different answers. Yeah, but
0: due to the benefit of everybody working at Tally, (laughs) that's the case in eighty percent of companies.
1: Yeah, right. Which is positioning?
0: Why positioning is so hard? Like, if you don't have it clear internally, then how you expect consumers to have it clear?
1: All right, hundred percent.
0: All right, mate. So to start wrapping it up, let's go with the resources. Do you have any resources you want to share with the audience?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I know that this is a podcast that is related to growth, so I wanted to. Oh, you can share, to share anything, man. Any
0: movie, whatever yeah. you feel like it.
1: <laughs> but uh, I wanted to share. So I, I've been following a lot of uh, the content that unusual ventures have put out there, and uh, it's not a it's it's a new VC that is uh, formed here in in, in San Francisco. And uh, they have one of the partners, Andy Jones, uh, who was uh, basically led growth at Facebook, Twitter, Quora, Wealthfront. So he's cool. a really, really smart guy. Uh, and the content that they are putting out there, uh, is, it has like, a different approach because it's actually talking about the journey for you as an entrepreneur and the things that you need to be looking out for. And they are more there to like having like, their content is more of like a guide. It's not necessarily like tactics or best practices, or it's more of like this is this is a piece of content that is gonna make you think about, but it's not necessarily something that you need to apply to your organization. So really cool, really cool content. Yeah, I've I've ro- I've really enjoyed talk uh, uh, reading uh, their stuff and uh yeah for whoever might be interested on on crypto oh, well, there and you go. overall finances <laughs> uh i feel that uh, nowadays it's really important to know what's going on in the world uh there's gonna be like some really really big changes on the financial models uh on on how we operate uh our de- even our daily life i i think in five more years it's gonna be super different from what we have right now yeah. um so i would hundred percent recommend subscribing uh, to the service called real vision um, they have a, a bunch of free content on YouTube uh, where you can start getting a sense of of the type of, um, of, of of the of the type of videos that they produce and the under the, the content that they're sharing but uh, it has been like, Kind of like a like a wake-up call like super, kind of like when cool. when neo when neo got that <laughs> message on the computer like hey, neo wake up like yeah. it, it basically felt like the same way so all right it's been it's been awesome okay man but it's, it's a rabbit hole i mean you're gonna oh. like if you decide to go that way you're gonna spend like hours, are you gonna become a conspiracy
0: so. theorist and all that kind of stuff <laughs> Okay. Uh,
1: Let's see. M- maybe. Let's see.
0: Well, we'll see. That yes, we have a warning for it, so no worries. Uh, I'm gonna recommend back awesome. a book. I haven't recommended a book, I think, in a few episodes. Um, about positioning, actually, I think April Dunford is one of the the best people at it uh, around, and it's called Obviously Awesome: How to Nail Product Positioning So mm. Customers Get It, Buy It, and Love It. It's a long title, but it's really good. And for those of you who are lazy readers, our former guest Patrick Campbell from ProfitWell in his uh, Protect the Hassle podcast, also has an interview with her and a video. If you don't feel like reading, you can get the yeast of it there. So that's it, man. That's it for today. It went a bit over long. Hopefully I didn't keep you from any meetings because your day is starting, but uh, really happy to have you, really happy to have my first Chilean, hopefully the, the first of many.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's an amazing uh, community here in the US of uh, Chileans working in growth. So uh, hopefully, hopefully we can keep developing this. But it was awesome to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the the episode.
0: All right, everybody. Until the next episode. See you soon.
1: Take care.